Hello and welcome back to the Cisco UKI podcast, the podcast where we take the acronyms out of tech and we put the fun in. I'm telling you this, right, you need to stop moving in the chair. Right, okay, um, I also can hear myself. That's What's because on? it's not in my headset, this is why. Two seconds. Good lord. There we are, we are back. Um, so yeah, this time it feels like it's been a long time. You know what it is? I think we were on a run of podding for a wee while. We did quite a lot of episodes in one go and then surprised listeners by just like releasing them bit by bit. And then we actually just haven't recorded for a while. It's been it's been a minute. So yeah, it's good to be back, isn't it? You know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently because I'm doing a 5k a day challenge with the girls before we all go on holiday. I'm not going on a girls trip, that's wild for my age, but like we're going for a friend's wedding and we're all going to the same place. So anyway, we're all on a bit of a mission to get our steps in before we go on holiday. And so I'll be listening to podcasts. So um, probably none that, well, actually do you know one that I'm listening to? Um, what should we call this? Promote a pod, promote another pod. I don't know, is um, nothing to do with work whatsoever. But have you listened to the, um, It'd be very funny for our Irish contingent of listeners. I think you'd find it hilarious. But Vogue Williams podcast with her pal Joanne. Yeah, I love it. And I also, also love her podcast with um, Spencer. Yeah, I love it. Haven't listened to it, right? And we can't talk about half the things that they talk about on that podcast because it is just not Cisco appropriate and we'd get fired if we spoke about half the stuff. Um, (laughs) But it's just so funny. And I literally just find myself walking about listening to it and just... Yeah, I think so much. Did you, like I also watched their program, the um, of Spencer and Vogue, and that's when I started listening to their podcast because they were funny together. And then I then went on to her one with her and her friend. But yeah, no, the the one I've been listening to recently is uh, it's called Goodly Swall. It's very niche because it's based like you know I love trash TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's based on like Summer House. It's a program on Bravo. Love it. Shout out to Bravo and um. Yeah, it's two people from that program. So it's like very niche and I feel like you may right. really get it if you're into that kind of scene. But yeah, they're like, they've had me laughing out loud on my dog walks. So yeah, if you're like, like me and to... love the trash TV, there you go. Ah, okay. See, I feel like I used to use pods as my way of like trying to make my brain work a wee bit while I was walking. Yeah. So like I try and like learn something or I would listen to like self-development or something. And now I'm just like, no, when I'm walking or running, I need to be made to laugh. So anyway, yeah. my therapist goes to me is a great one. Probably more for the women in the audience, I would say. Um, but just two Irish girls, they're just hilarious. One's a comedian, one's a kind of rich celebrity tv star now um but very down to earth they're hilarious shout yeah. out to that no i i can only listen to like educational slash informative podcasts when i'm driving but like see if i'm walking i need something that's going to make me like laugh out loud yeah. do you know what yeah. i mean like i feel like when you're driving you can you absorb it more whereas like you're laughing you've got when you're walking the dog or you're out running like you, there's so many external things happening like you got to cross a road and you know you're listening out for traffic like Agreed. And you're trying to make sure your dog's coming back and yeah, you're picking the poo and yeah. I'm yeah. That. 
So, yeah, that was a tangent. But, yeah, I've been listening to Pod recently and we've not been recorded. We were supposed to record earlier this week and then I came down with the dreaded tonsillitis. So, um, we've spoke about, I'm sure we've spoke about my tonsillitis before on this. I get tonsillitis a lot. You've had your tonsils out. I'm very jealous about that, but they don't do that anymore. They're very reluctant to take tonsils out. But, yeah, I was so ill at the beginning of the week and had to rearrange some of our podding. Um, but I'm better now. And what about you? Exciting news. You're going on holiday next week. Oh, my goodness. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to be on a flight to Greece. I'm just so Ugh. excited. Because I literally have not been away since... Well, I've been away on, like, city breaks. But I've not been on a summer holiday since 2019. And that was for, like, two days. So I feel like I'm in dire need of for just like, a week of doing nothing um and yeah i've been making it very clear to partners customers like i'm not available next week if you need me catch me before if you need me catch me afterwards but you know i well what am i gonna do who am i gonna phone on my little tea breaks well it's fine because it is the double bank holiday for the jubilee so let's uh it was only three days that you missed me i'll be fine i'll be, be fine. i'm very jealous and the fact that like you genuinely can say that you're going on holiday and you're going to do nothing for a week i'm so jealous about because i say oh i'm going on holiday in june like middle of june for two weeks to cyprus and it sounds brilliant but i'm taking a nearly three-year-old so it's not so much rest and relaxation for me it's it's going to be making sure no one's like jumping in the pool when they're not supposed to or falling or you know so i'm very jealous of your adult week away um what's been happening work-wise i feel like loads has happened actually we've been we had kids in it day that was fun we were in the glasgow office and we hosted some school kids and we did we a did. full session <laughs> that was, i actually had a great day i had a great day and listen colette and i i think we're more competitive than the kids <laughs> I, I knew you were going to bring it up i was just wanting to talk about the day but let's talk about it because no you do not have that trophy on your desk at home <laughs> No, you don't. Yeah, I do, baby. <laughs> wow. Okay, so for those who obviously cannot see this pod while we're recording, basically there was a competition on day, and it was like a pitch competition, So, which was a great idea. It was like Dragon's Day, and the kids had to design an app. Um, my kids and my team came up with a brilliant one, delivered the pitch amazingly, in my opinion. Um, and, yeah, then Rosie's team went up, and turned out Rosie's it. team won. They won. So they beat our team on the pitch and basically one of the kids in Rosie's team didn't turn up on the day. So there was a spare trophy and Rosie has very much claimed it. So I adopted it. I was part of the team, you know, I would just, Colette and I fully embraced the day and I had a really good time and the kids were what made the day because the kids were great. They were so engaging. They were really into the day, I think, like everyone kind of you know, threw themselves into it and they were actually genuinely interested and what were they like 13, 14 year olds? Like, yeah. so I was kind of, I was kind of a bit nervous before I went in, to be honest with you, because I thought, you know, are we going to have a group of kids who aren't in that interested in IT or aren't really like in, like they just wanted a day out where actually they didn't. And I was present, pleasantly surprised and uh, it was a real good day. And I think kids give you a newfound appreciation for like day to day stuff, don't they? Because kids we're not probably not supposed to say kids young people young people um like they were just so fascinated by the smallest thing in the office like they were fascinated by the little mini kitchen that we've got like the kitchen they were fascinated people by... were fascinated by the toilets they were having a fab old time in the toilets, toilets. 
<laughs> I was just like, all these things we just take for granted in our office. And yeah, they just thought it was amazing. So I was buzzing after that. And then we also have, what else have we been up to? You've been on the road quite a bit. I've been, we've been up in Aberdeen for some events with customers and partners. Yeah, we've had lots of workshops going on with customers, which have been really great. I think people are just dying to get back out and to get some you know in interactive things going on like especially like we had the umbrella labs which is doing a tour of the uk at the minute so i think there's a couple still to happen down south but customers are just you know whether you've got umbrella or don't have umbrella and that goes for any kind of workshop that we do it's it's great to either understand it or be able to ask questions in a more you know intimate setting when it's only maybe like 15 20 people so yeah it was actually really beneficial last week i did the workshop so you know shout out to if i can do it anyone can do it so any small businesses out there if i can do a work umbrella anyone can um and yeah what else have we had going on yeah we've just had we've had um we've just been busy just getting back out and about and seeing customers have been and the poor pod has taken a back seat because of it but we're back um Oh, I had something I was going to say there. That's really annoying. It's just totally escaped my head. Oh, I know what it was. A biggie. We've booked Vegas, baby. Woohoo! So we've, we've got uh, Cisco Live's happening next week, which is super exciting. First time it's been back in Vegas since pre-COVID. So that's customer event where customers can go, partners can go um, and understand what's getting announced for the rest of the year. So that's going ahead, the customer facing one. We're not going to that one. We're not, We're not in that Vegas. We're doing the the Cisco version of that later on in the year. Yeah, Cisco Impact, which usually happens every year in Vegas around August time, but obviously due to COVID hasn't happened for a couple of years. So I think we everybody's looking forward to it. I think teams need it. Teams who have been like job people who have joined like me and you that well, I mean, it's a bit different for you. A lot of your team are in Scotland and you know most of them, but my team are in Amir, spread out all over Europe. And yeah, mm. I haven't met any of them since I started because of COVID. So Vegas is going to be a great opportunity for teams to connect and get pumped up. And yeah, really, really excited about that. So yeah. What else have we got to talk about today? Well, shout out to our other pod, our little sub pod called Tech Talks, where we talk about Sassy, which is kind of, Oh, yeah. In greatest that we are doing and further announcements will be happening at Cisco Live. But if you want to kind of dip your toe in before all the formal announcements, then please go over to our other pod. Yeah, that's true. And SASE, we are very aware is an acronym, but we will let Joe, our guest, explain what it means on our Tech Talk podcast. So, yeah, good shout out there, Rosie. That pod will be available at some point after this one comes out. So, um, yeah. So on today's podcast, Rosie, we are going to be deep diving into the world of security. And we have a guest with us today, a colleague of ours called Martin Lee. And Martin is, tell us what Martin does, Rosie. He is the EMEA lead for Talos. And if you aren't familiar with what Talos is, Talos is one of the largest intelligent group gathering um, in the world. So on what sits on top of all of our security products um, is something called Talos, which feeds into our security products and kind of helps create the intelligence behind it in a not so technical way. I'm sure Martin will explain it in a much, much better way than I can, but essentially that's what it's for. But then this is why we always say that Cisco plays into everything because even if you're a small business and you buy something like Umbrella, um, 
Talos feeds into Umbrella so that you're getting, you know, some of the best analytics in the world is feeding into Umbrella, which is feeding into small businesses as well as large businesses, etc. So it plays to everyone. So doesn't Look matter. you always putting small business at the heart of everything you do, Rosie. Always. Top small business account manager. Well done. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about this one. I don't know, as you know, in my little bubble of collaboration, I don't really get to delve into Talos and security too much. So I'm actually really excited to learn. And here we go. This is what it's all about. This is the educational type podcast that we're creating for all those other people for when they're driving or walking their dogs and actually can concentrate better than clearly we can. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, should we just dive into our interview with Martin Rosie? I think we shall. Nicely done. <laughs> okay. Are we doing audio only or audio and video? Yeah, we've not got faces built for. Okay, all right, good, good, good. Well, in that case, hang on, hang on. I'll get a little bit more light, more light in. I'll open the yeah, door, yeah. get some more air in, and I won't worry about about the. Uh, no. I won't worry about the lighting. <laughs> so, Martin, yeah, thank you very much for joining Rosie and I on this Tesco UKI podcast. So, we're delighted to have you here. We have done our little bit of our intro already to this um, podcast. Our listeners are very aware that you're coming on to chat to us today. Um, but yeah, we just kind of want to hear, we always ask our guests to tell us a bit about their career journey. How have you ended up in this role? Um, and that sort of thing. And then we'll sort of deep dive into the actual technology that you kind of get to play with every day here at Cisco. So, yeah. I'll start off with an icebreaker before you forget. Yes, we are going to do that. Kick us off with, who are you, Martin? What do you do here at Cisco? So my name's uh, Martin Lee. I uh, work predominantly from home here in Oxford. I, um, I have two titles. I'm technical lead of security research in Cisco, and I'm EMEA lead for Talos, which is Cisco's um, security research and threat intelligence um, team. Um, I'm EMEA lead for their strategic planning and communications team. Brilliant. And to give us an idea of the man behind Martin Lee and behind Cisco, here's your icebreaker question before we get on to all the other stuff. If you were to go to a supermarket of your choice and there was a meal deal on offer, what would be your meal deal choice? Would this be for like lunch or dinner? Lunch. Yeah, we've got drink, main, snack. Drink, yeah. main and snack. Something for lunch. Um it's more. That's a difficult question. Um, often, I have. I mean, I really like proper bread. I think if I could find like a really nice sour bread, um, sourdough bread, plus something sort of nice and soupy, maybe a bit sort of more of a consomme for the for the summer, or really nice warming vegetable soup for the winter. Uh, drink. It would probably be an americano at lunchtime. Okay, so you're definitely not going to Tesco for your new meal deal, are you? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I often get on my bike. Um, there's a Tesco uh, not that far away, which has got a really nice bakery next door. So I would go there. I would get a soup and um, I would get the nice bread from the nice bakery. And a big um, layer of butter on your bread. Oh, a bit yes. of salt. Probably without the salt, but uh, yeah, extra extra butter and, and possibly cheese. 
Yeah, I absolutely Rosie has salt. <laughs> but like salted butter, or just like you know the. Oh no! It would definitely be flakes. salted, salted butter. Yeah. I think unsalted butter is, is just wrong. Yeah, good choice. And coffee. We all need coffee to get through the day. So brilliant. So how long have you been at Mar- uh, at Cisco Martin? And what's your sort of career journey? How did you get into this side of technology? So I've been in um, Cisco uh, for eight years um, since uh, 2012, if I remember rightly, with with, with a year elsewhere. Um, I got seduced by the dark side and um, uh, and left Cisco. Um, and then they had to acquire the company to bring me back again. Um, but um, it, it, it's like the mafia. You can't really ever leave. Um, it's a boomerang, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, a career, honestly, it, it's, it, it's just been a series of accidents. Um, so I started my career in human vi- um, viral genetics. I was all set out to be a researcher in molecular biology. And um, this is why I came to to Oxford. I did my doctorate in Paris. Um, I got a postdoc position in Oxford, um, promptly arrived here and discovered the internet and just thought this, this is going to be the biggest thing in my life. And I either switch careers now or I will forever regret it. So instead of writing up my doctorate, much to my mother's disgust, I, um, I taught myself programming and jumped into, um, into the internet, initially writing, um, websites and also doing programming. Um, rose with the dot com boom, uh, crashed with the dot com crash. Um, and in, I think it would be tw- um, 2003, a job came up writing, um, spam filters. And this was like even before spam was really a problem. Um, and for me, it was very, very similar to the work that I've been doing on analyzing virus genomes. Um, or a virus genome is, is a sequence of DNA bases and you're looking for patterns that tell you something about what's happening in the, um, in the genome and identifying proteins or, um, potential coding areas that would code for a protein and measuring homology to see how similar something is to something that you might have seen before. And for me, this was very, very similar to the to the issue of spam or uh, an email is it's a sequence of characters. And we're looking for patterns within that, which tell us something about maybe something that we've seen before or something which is being repeatedly reused. And ultimately, in spam detection, we're, we're measuring homology. We're looking to see how similar something is on un- that's unknown is this similar to spam that we've seen before and if a new message is 80 percent similar to a spam you saw yesterday then chances are it's spam or you can just class it as spam um so that was how i got started um i set up um honeypot systems to to collect lots and lots of um of spam and started getting viruses in that and so started getting involved in in looking at uh, malware and viruses and could we use the same techniques that we're using for spam detection to detect the viruses and it turned out we could and so forth and so forth um, and eventually i was working for a uh, a small company in um in gloucester at the time and it sort of slowly dawned on me that the problem wasn't like these last few tenths of a percent of viruses that we were missing our biggest problem was that the um 
the sales team really had no idea what we were doing in engineering or or in the malware room. Um, and I sort of started getting involved in, in in telling them why what we were doing was was actually radically different and really different from anything else in the market. And so little by little, um, I sort of got involved more and more in supporting sales and supporting marketing, um, got a, um, a reputation as like a techie who talks. Um, and that's basically been my career since then. Um, I then uh, left, well, we got acquired by Symantec. I left Symantec to join the Cisco Threat Research Analysis and Communications team uh, with a remit of um, looking over the threat landscape, spotting what's different, spotting those patterns, what the bad guys are up to, um, and then telling our customers and sales teams, you know, what, what's important? What's happening out there? What is new? What is different? And um, that sort of led me to where I am today. So it really has been a sequence of of just randomness. It kind of makes some sort of sense looking backwards, but I think looking forwards, there was no way um, that really you could predict where I am now. And indeed, this job didn't exist when um, when I was at university. So um, you know, who knows what's next. That's brilliant, that's not. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. I have so many questions already from your first answer. So um techies that talk, that's brilliant. This is that's the exact kind of guest that we need on a podcast. So brilliant. Yeah. It's a good it's a good skill. Um and also I'm just really curious, if you had stuck out what you were supposed to be doing at Oxford, like would you have been involved in like the COVID nineteen stuff? Fascinating. Yes, yeah, so um Oh goodness, I forget her name off the top of my uh, my head. The lady who got the knighthood um, for the oh. Oxford vaccine. Um, oh, I've forgotten her name, Sarah. Um, oh, I can't I, remember. I, can't, uh, I forget her name off. I can, pic- uh, I can yeah. picture her at Wimbledon. Yeah, I, I, yeah Wimbledon. I, I, I worked with her. She um, uh, she was in the Dunn School of Pathology, and I was in human anatomy in Paris. I've been working on adenoviruses, and so the Oxford vaccine is based on adenovirus, the, the family of viruses that I was working with. And at the time when I arrived here, no one was working with adenoviruses. And so I gave Sarah, her, Sarah Gilbert, that's the name, um, the first um, adenovirus um, uh, strains for, for her to work with because she was working on pox virus um, vaccines at the time. That's wild, isn't it? But no, we've we've had an interesting couple of guests who have completely trained in something else and then have ended up in technology. So we had Lisa, who is one of our services lead in the UK. She's trained as a hairdresser to begin with. So it's just interesting hearing people's backstories. But so when you were doing your doctorate and your mum wasn't very happy, how did you actually decide, I'm going to take this leap of faith, not knowing what the internet was going to come into as, as what it is today? Like, how did, how did you go about that? I, I, it was obvious the internet was going to be massive. So, um, so January 96, um, I arrived here. My wife was, um, was finishing her contracts in, in Paris. The university had, um, superb internet connection and superb computing facilities and, um, sort of being left alone and not having any family life. And, you know, as a young guy with internet, it's like, oh my goodness, this is incredible, absolutely incredible. And I think for, for, for me, it was, it was clear. That, that this was going to be massive. You know, I'd been involved in, in home computing in the, in the mid eighties and whatever. And, um, just seeing the possibility of, um, of the internet. I think naively at the time, um, I really thought this would, 
change humanity because you could communicate anything to anyone throughout throughout the world um which i still think is amazing and i still think there's so many opportunities you know for for for, for peace and for understanding through the internet i tell you the moment that i thought oh my goodness this is this has all gone horribly wrong um was a few years after after i started where someone sent me a video of a cat riding around on a tortoise and it was like my ideas of, oh, well, hang around, we can increase human understanding and, and human wisdom and knowledge through sharing ideas and sharing really important information. And then, oh, my God, what have we done with this? We're, we're sharing videos of cats riding around on a tortoise. <laughs> You must be horrified by TikTok, Martin. I've got all of it. I'm just numb to it now. It's numb. I don't get involved. But there was that moment where it's sort of like this This is now out of control. But the way that I started was, I think, basically the approach of many things. It's just by playing with it. And so, you know, we're playing with – with the technology, you know, buy a book to get you started. And then beyond that, it's just playing and having fun and seeing what you can do. Um, and then I, uh, I volunteered to um, work at the help desk in the university in the evenings um, just to get a bit of experience. And I volunteered doing doing the odd website here and there. Um, and then when I sort of felt, well, look, I've got like a year's worth of experience doing something I'll, I'll just go out and start interviewing for practice and um yeah more or less the first job i applied to um they they accepted me and i started off yeah doing doing websites and uh, electronic publishing amazing and so you mentioned that you now you wear two hats but one of your hats is working at cisco talos so what is talos for those who have no idea what talos is and how does it kind of relate to the wider cisco portfolio as well so we're we're cisco's threat intelligence and security research organization so fundamentally our role is identifying what the bad guys are up to and developing the detection logic, so the rules and the signatures that powers Cisco's uh, security portfolio. So everything which is Cisco security has Talos baked in there because somewhere behind the line, behind the scenes, we're, we're the ones that are developing um, that detection logic. We also now have the instant response capability. For a long time, we were engineering only and didn't have anything um, specific as a, as a product offering. And now we offer the instant response. So if companies um, ha experience um, a, a breach or an incursion by a bad guy, they can call on Talos analysts to go in and sort that out. And there's also a whole range of other services that are available um, also underneath the banner of um, the incident response. So it's not just responding to incidents. It's also um, preparing in advance and also um, being able to ask us questions about threat intelligence and exactly what the bad guys are up to. And I always imagine these white hackers with like white gloves and a white hat on, just like in a dark room, like just going away. But um, with the instant response, yeah, you get a certain amount of hours, can't you? There's a basic amount of hours that you get, and that can be for learning and development to help protect yourself against it, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of it is, um, well, hopefully... Having a breach is a once in a career event for, um, for a cybersecurity analyst. So when it happens, you won't necessarily know exactly what to do. So having someone for whom this is, you know, their bread and butter, what they do every day coming in and telling you what to do and also 
more specifically, having knowledge of what the bad guys are likely to do. You know, where are they likely to be hiding? What sort of things have they done before? And be able to point out those dark corners where you might have a bad guy um, hiding. And the other point is um, is practicing beforehand, um, you know, doing the training, having the walkthroughs of attacks. Um, one of the, the little nuggets that um, one of our incident response uh, people shared with me is a lot of organizations, they have their plans and all the coordination is done by email because everyone's remote and we'll send emails to and forward in order to coordinate the response to an incident. Um, but the bad guys know this. And what happens if the bad guy takes down the email server? What, what are you going to do then? And it's sort of asking those questions, you know, well, have you planned? What if your bad guy did this? And thinking about, well, how do I build redundancy and resiliency into my plans? How do I change them so that we can still communicate even if the email server server um, gets taken down? So there's a whole range of other things of preparing, of doing exercises and training, um, uh, as well as actually having that emergency incident response within the um, the possibilities that you have. And we speak to a lot of our guests that come on the podcast about how the pandemic changed things in different aspects of technology. And I suspect that within this line of technology, was there more incidents happening as a cop because of the pandemic? Like were people caught off guard? Like what what was the trend in your area? So remote working was a long term trend anyway. Um so through, I mean, the types of things that we do at Cisco, you know, providing the connectivity and the collaboration, there was a slow trend increasingly for people to be able to work at home. Um, equally, there at least was often the possibility of having those systems that enabled people to VPN into their work environment anyway. Um, the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, uh, there were heroic efforts by IT teams across the planet um, just to to connect people and to connect the wires and get people working again. Um, interestingly, my, my wife, who normally works in the kitchen, sort of just in front of me, um, she works in finance and they were told, um, no, absolutely no way. You will never be able to work from home. Not at all coming up into March 2020, and they were asking, look, should we make contingency plans for working from home? No, absolutely, absolutely impossible for you to work home until the day where they just said, go. And so there was no planning. There was no IT support. Um, my wife didn't even have a laptop because everything had been um, on a desktop in the office. This wasn't an entirely... Um, you know, uncommon scenario, I think, across um, across the world. So lots of people had to cope, had to find ways of getting things up and working so they could work. I think the thing to remember now is a lot of those decisions that were made in haste two years ago have now become permanent. So my wife, who was told you can never work from home because you're you're dealing with with actually with with patient confidentiality and also confidential finance. Now she's working hybrid. Um, she's not the only person. That system was set up very, very rapidly over the space of a couple of days, two years ago. It's now become permanent. There are lots and lots of examples of this across, across the world. So it's not so much the bad guys taking advantage of it. Um, it's thinking about what is the residual risk that we have now 
given that the world changed very, very suddenly two years ago. Um, another good example, basically everyone who works from home, um, including yourselves, you're, you're a branch office of Cisco. We are all a branch office of Cisco. You know, previously we would have been in a secure office. Um, there would have been a receptionist. There would have been a security guard. We'd be using enterprise networking equipment. Now all of us are remote. We're using our consumer grade networking kit. And there's all this like technical legacy and all of those decisions that maybe from a security point of view weren't particularly the best ones that we now need to think about and help move organizations and, and remote workers such as ourselves to a situation where we're as secure at home as we ever were in the office. And I guess one of my things is like how just how sophisticated are kind of hacking incidents becoming like how clever as human beings are we having to be in order to like notice them and recognize them these days so um it it doesn't really really doesn't need to be complicated um it's like the two missionaries in the in the jungle and one of them goes running every morning and his friend asks him well why do you go running and he says it's to outrun you know it's in case we we ever meet a lion he says, don't be, don't be silly. You'd never be able to outrun a lion. He says, well, I don't need to. I just need to outrun you. And it, it's mm. much the same thing when it comes to cybersecurity. You don't need to be the four knots of security. You need to be better than the others. Um, ultimately, the bad guys are looking for easy targets. Um, you know, like all of us, they're, they're lazy. They want to earn their money with the least amount of effort as possible. Um, and so they look for easy targets. And the trick really is not to be an easy target. And having things like have you have the endpoint protection on all of your systems and make sure that that's kept um, kept up to date. You have the two-factor authentication. Um, you have the firewalls. You have the VPN with proper authentication and two-factor, you know, once you start having those things in place and in place everywhere, and that's really the trick, you start becoming actually quite a difficult target for, for, for the bad guys. There's a whole spectrum of sophistication within the bad guys from really very, very unsophisticated through to opportunist cr- um, criminals through to hardcore nation state advanced um, threat actors um, and de- Depending on who's likely to target you, you can have um, the right level of protection in place with the right support around you. You can be pretty, pretty secure. If you've got endpoint protection in place, if you're downloading and installing the updates and you've got two-factor authentication, you're already pretty good. You're already in a very, very good place. No, it's, I think, you know, historically, a lot of businesses have been like, you know, cybersecurity, it'll never happen to us. You know, yeah. we won't be the ones. So, you know, if there's still businesses out there that f- feel that way, what would you be saying to them? I think at this pace, at this point now, um, it's getting difficult to help the ones that are, that just don't want to know or, or don't think it'll ever happen to them. Um, you know, the number of stories that you, that you come across or, you know, friends of friends who come to you for help. And, um, you know, I remember one, a, a small law firm in the north of England where, um, their file server where they kept all of their client information got hit with ransomware. And they're like, what do we do? He said, well, do you, do you have a backup? Well, no. Do, do you have antivirus? No. And at that point, you know, there's nothing I can do. Um, it, it, it's gone. Um, and 
Yeah, you know, so for so many organizations, they don't think about it until until it's too late. And um, I think, sadly, for a lot of them, they go out of business. Um, and again, it doesn't need to be difficult. But I think every business in the in, in the in the country, I think now it's typically only sort of very small businesses or small and medium sized businesses that, that don't have the adequate protection in place. We need to encourage them to get, you know, just, just get in touch, work, work with a partner, work through your IT provision. I think now is a very, very good time where there is, you know, we're now settling into a hybrid working environment. Talk to your customers about their hybrid, um, provision and, and getting that secure and also use it as a time to talk about security. Um, especially with the, with the, the war in Ukraine and the, the amount of cyber capability that's been used there. Again, this is another opportunity to think, well, look, you know, this could hit you. And I know that you don't believe that you would ever be a target. You could just be collateral damage um, or an attacker could hit you because they want to hit one of your customers. Um, so, you know, think about it and just have the basics. All you need to do is have the basics. If you're getting the basics right, you're already doing very, very well. So, yeah, talk talk to your customers, um, get them to to think about it and to have a plan and just get the basics right. And so, you know, you found Venice early on, you're a techie who talks, and that's very, very valuable uh, in, you know, every business unit. So why cyber and why are you still working in cyber? What is it about cybersecurity that excites you? It, um, I think what attracted me to it from the beginning is that it's a very, very interesting problem. Um, it's very different from other scientific or engineering disciplines. Um, if you're building bridges, your enemy is gravity, right? If you're building skyscrapers, your enemy is gravity. But gravity is constant. It never changes. Whereas in cybersecurity, our adversaries are the bad guys, the threat actors. And whatever we design and build in order to counteract them they respond to. So it's a continuously changing problem, um, which is, you know, which is very, very interesting. So if you built a bridge to stand up and then gravity reverses, so the bridge falls down or, or gravity goes sideways and the bridge falls down. Um, it, it's a very, very interesting, continuously changing problem. Um, I do like to think that it is a problem fundamentally with a solution, um, with a background in biomedicine for to me cybersecurity looks very very much like a public health issue and um i do think where we are as cybersecurity practitioners at the moment it's kind of similar to being sort of an early victorian doctor that you're doing your best and you're curing the patients as best that you can but you don't yet have the advantage of modern medicine. You don't yet have the advantage of, of understanding the germ theory of disease. And if we think about London and the industrial revolution and the changes that that brought to cities, one of the biggest problems was cholera. Um, this was the disease of the industrial world of cities. And it was absolutely devastating. The, the physicians and the medical community had no idea what was causing it. But by through collecting data, and by mapping and looking systematically at the problem, they identified that the problem was to do with the, was the water supply. And they had no idea what the problem was with this water supply, but it was something to do with polluted water. Ultimately, um, 
London built sewage, um, the, the sewage works and the sewage um, capabilities. And that solved cholera. They didn't know why. They knew it had something to do with water. And they knew that, that all of this sewage that the city was, was creating was unpleasant. And by having the right investment and doing the right things and building the sewage treatment um, facilities, this solved cholera. Now, for me, in the industrial, uh, in the digital knowledge information revolution world in which we find ourselves, our current cholera is cybersecurity. We, we, we have bad guys. We know what it is that they're, that they're trying to do. And I kind of feel we're always like grasping and we're reacting against them. I think we've yet to discover what is the, the real source of the insecurity and what are the investments necessary just to solve the problem once and for all, for it, for it to go away. I'm, I, I hope. And I kind of expect that my grandchildren will look back at my job with the same degree of, of complete uncomprehending incredulousness that we look back at people whose jobs were to to find witches. You know, the witch finder general was a was a was a job. Um, and we now look back and like, goodness me, you know, what on earth were these people doing? You know, how how could you ever have such a thing? I want my grandchildren to look back and say, wow, granddad was a cybersecurity investigator. You know, why didn't they just do X? And we don't know what that X is yet, but it's probably out there somewhere. Um, and yeah, if I can help develop or find or publicize that X when it happens, um, that's, that's what I would like to, to do. Yeah, and I think that whole like, sorry, Rosie, uh, that whole idea just blows my mind. Like it blows my mind. Like even just hearing you say that, that in twenty years' time, like your job, like thirty years' time, maybe people are going to look back and be like, "What? It's, it's wild." What? Yeah. yeah, they had they had bad guys in their computers. <laughs> I'm trying to data. Think, you know, I'm trying to think of like an example of like an actual relevant one to our lives where like people just don't do that job anymore. But I can't even. Well, the internet, well, the internet wasn't even a, a, like Google wasn't even a thing when yeah. we like I was born. Like it was born after me. So <laughs> my, people my, who used to like put this stuff into teletext. Yeah. So my grandfather, know, like, I remember like, this when I was little, took me down Fleet Street. And, and there's all the guys coming out of the printers. And he'd explain to me um, that, you know, they used to put the, the letters in the print in order to make the newspapers and then ink it up. And this is where the terms uppercase and lowercase comes from, because the capital letters were in the upper shelf, the uppercase, and the lowercase letters, the little letters were in the lowercase. And people would arrange all, all of this by, by hand. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You should, you should have listened to my grandfather. Um, and, and this entire industry doesn't exist anymore because everyone uses word processors and, and electronic printers. And so this entire profession, it's gone. Yeah, that's yeah. I think you've kind of answered by what would have been my next question. Like, because I was going to ask a question of you said, like, this job you're in didn't exist when you were like a, a student. Um, and it now does exist. I was going to say, like, can you actually envisage what jobs are going to look like in the next 20 years? Like, do you have an idea? Like, if an alien was to come tomorrow, like, could you say, oh, I think in 20 years time, people will be doing X, Y and Z? No. It's too hard, isn't it? Uh, well, 
as we, you know, we, we don't have a crystal ball. We, 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 we don't know. Um, so I, realistically, I think 30 years ago, I, I, I wouldn't have envisaged that, that my job now exists. Um, and I don't think it, it was possible. And even looking at the early internet, I, I didn't expect, I expected it to be big. I expected it to be revolutionary, but there was absolutely no way that I, I expected that we get where, where we are now. Um, looking forward, I mean, there are things that you can see that have changed over the past five, five, ten years. Um, certainly computer devices are getting smaller. Um, I don't think that we should take our eye off the ball and the IoT. Um, there are going to be computer chips and small computers everywhere, absolutely everywhere. There also has to be small computers everywhere. If we're going to control our energy use and, and hit you know, carbon um, uh, capture or carbon use targets, we need to be much, much more sensible with our use of power and powering things down uh, when we don't need it and only powering it up when we do need it. That's going to involve data and it's going to involve processing and it's certainly going to involve wireless networks. So there's going to be many, many, many more computers, but they're not going to look like laptops and they're not going to look like, like phones, you know, that may look like my smartwatch or something. Or we're going to have something along the smartwatch in every plug, um, in a thermostat in every room or something, or even in every chair. Why not? Um, so there's, there, there's going to be that. Um, I think we can already see the end of mass broadcast in terms of media and everything is going to be coming over the internet. Um, so the internet connection is going to be vastly, vastly more important to, to our lives. And there's going to be lots of little computers everywhere collecting data and processing it in some way. But if I could find what the application would be, I'd, I'd invest in it. I'd be doing that now. But I, yeah, you know, I think I it's all I can say yeah. is, is there's going to be bad guys as well. And the bad guys are going to try and whatever it is that we do, the bad guys are going to try and subvert it. Yeah, well, that's think, something that's remained throughout history, isn't it? There's always going to be the good guys and the bad guys. And I feel yeah. like what I want to do with this podcast episode is almost put it in a little virtual time capsule. And in <laughs> 30 years' time, we'll come back and yeah. listen to it and see if your predictions were right. Because I think what you're saying about all the like, basically, there's going to be computers everywhere. I think we just live now in a generation, especially kids live in a generation where they've only ever known to have technology at their fingertips. But with that comes almost like a little bit of complacency. And like, I don't know, the things that kind of worry me are like all the things I hear now about the Alexas in your house are listening to you or people hacking through your ring doorbell and talking to your kids. And like, I mean, what can the normal person day to day do to possibly keep up with all of these devices that they've got and like protect themselves from everything it seems quite overwhelming for like an average person yes (laughs) (laughs) no it's honestly yeah it it, you know it's a massive problem Uh, and we're talking about you know how do we even get small businesses doing the basics so we with with things moving forwards there's going to be some organizations that are going to be better at doing security or taking security more, 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 um, seriously. And I think those are the organizations that we, that we're going to have to think of. Certainly when I look at my, um, daughter's generation, th- they seem to have an inherent awareness about privacy and not necessarily 
parting with the genuine data um, or their genuine information and sort of creating personas that are disposable, um, which I think which I think is quite interesting. And it's interesting to see how kids have have picked up on that in um, in some way. Um, I think maybe in the same way that our generation has adopted to online media and you know, being quite good at spotting fake news where I look at my parents' generation and if it's in, you know, if they're seeing it on the internet or they're reading it in a paper, well, it must be true. Um, and you're like, yeah, no, not really. So you can see these generational shifts. Um, certainly the next generation, I think, are much, much better about understanding security, understanding their privacy. Um, ultimately, I certainly within the home, I think the security, a lot of it is, is going to be at that point where the internet comes in the house because there's going to be so many devices. Um, a lot of them are going to be managed by third parties. And I don't really think it's going to be possible to, to, to manage the full security of that. Um, so I think we're going to have to focus on securing what's really, really important um, and then dealing with the things that do get compromised um, once they become a problem. Um, and also being able to spot when it's a problem and hopefully um, uh, responding early before it becomes too much of an issue. I know, because even like my Instagram has been hacked before, and that's just something that most of us use on a daily basis. And actually, shout out to Jewel, because the the two-factor authentication on uh, Instagram is actually Jewel. But it's a little interesting fact for you there. But I think I find cybersecurity super interesting. And, you know, we've had... Um, on previous podcasts, we've had the apprentices, we've, um, you know, trying to explain, you know, why do you get into IT? So I think when you're at university, Colette and I both didn't have a tech background, you didn't have a tech background. So, and I think cybersecurity can all be a bit hush-hush because no one likes to share that they've maybe had a cyber attack. But is there anything, you know, really interesting that you've helped deal with that you could possibly share? So I'd say two things. Number one, um, certainly cybersecurity industry and the IT industry in general thrives on people bringing their external experience and awareness into this, are this arena. It it it's changing. Technology is changing massively. We actively need people with other backgrounds, with other knowledge to come in and apply their skills to this, to, to, to this arena, to this scene. Um, the, you know, the big solution or whatever that is for cybersecurity, we don't know what it is yet. It may be something that someone is already doing in another industry. And we've got to wait for someone from that industry to, to, to move into this one and say, well, you know, why don't you just do this? Or have you thought about that? So we need to be very, very open to people with, with, with different backgrounds, different knowledge, different skills and experience coming in. Um, learning a bit about the job, but also learning from them. So I think that's one thing which is really, really important. Um, the other bit, and I'll plug this um, shamelessly, I'm writing a book um, which is going to be published in the in the new year. So I'm writing a textbook on cyber threat intelligence so that um, the people who are currently apprentices or the people who are currently at university can um, just pick the book up and get started with cyber threat intelligence and and the techniques that are that are in that it's the book that i wish i could have found 15 years ago when when i was getting started um because yeah it didn't exist and it still doesn't exist so i am writing it at this moment and it's going to be published next year 
Oh, we love a oh, shameless you... plug. <laughs> I know. And it's a great way to wrap up a podcast, I have to say, with a shameless plug. So well done. And you have to please let us know when it does publish. And we'll share oh, it I will. Us. Don't worry, though. I will be making a lot of noise about it. I'm already oh, on a good. financial loser on this. And I just want to at least break even. Is this the first time you've written a book or...? It is the first time I've written a book, and I think it's probably going to be the last as well. I wouldn't necessarily (laughs) recommend reading a book, writing a book. It's a lot of work. You would recommend people reading books, though, especially... Reading reading books is is good. Writing books, it turns out, is quite different. Yeah. Are you still well, publishing on Amazon or how, how are you? No, no, I have a, um, a publisher. A publisher approached me. So uh, it's going to be published wow. by Jay Wiley. So I have an editor breathing down my neck. Um, I now have a, a one month until um, my deadline for submitting the manuscript. And I have a whole list of things that it's the, the style that it has to be in and everything. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit stressful. Wow. Well, we appreciate your time today out of your very busy schedule, it seems. Um, And yeah, it's been, I wasn't really sure what to expect on a podcast talking about cybersecurity, but I have no background in it. But it has been so interesting. I've honestly loved it. I've loved all your analogies and your little stories. And it's been great, Martin. Honestly, it's been a pleasure to have you on and to meet you as well. So... Rosie? Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, yeah, it's been yeah, it's a great, great way to finish the week. It's uh, yeah, really good. Oh, good. Well, we'll let you know once it's up and ready to go. Um, but yeah, all that's left to say from us is thank you very much, Martin. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Right. What can we say about Martin Lee? That was a brilliant episode. He's not just got that. two hats. He's got all the hats. Like He's got it's all what? the knowledge. He's so interesting so many and i feel like we have to let the the listeners i keep saying viewers as if we're like on tv or something the listeners know i stopped recording at the end of our podcast and then we went off on a little tangent and my mind was just blown some more and then i just regret that we weren't recording that last part so we basically told martin he has to come back because he told us so much about vaccines and white hackers it was just fascinating so anyway my mind is blown because i think like i said in the episode i didn't know what to expect having someone on come and talk about cyber security. No, if you don't take something away from boring. this podcast, you've got you, there's something wrong with you. Do you need to have taken something away? Uppercase, lowercase, what? Like, no, why not? But I just think yeah. it's also interesting that even like you know he didn't have a tech background. You know, we that's why we ask all the leaders that we've spoken to is you know how did you end up in the career you're doing? And he you know started off. Um, doing something completely different. So just goes to show you don't have to have a technology background to be doing technology and even encouraging it. I know. What a way to make a jump from like scientific viruses to computing viruses. Like, I mean, fascinating. I never knew anything about Martin's background before that. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I do think we have to have him back because he was a very just amazing guy, really. What a background. So... Yeah, anyway, it's this Friday afternoon. We've just wrapped up recording and you're off on holiday. Woo! Out of office has been on since, well, it's not been on all day, but I said it this morning. <laughs> like, that's my first priority today. Get the out of office ready to go. So, yes, no. Yeah. Holiday. Very excited for you. So, well, you're sunning yourself next week. I'll be editing some of this podcast. So, you just think of me while you have a margarita in your hand in oh, well. the pool, okay? I will. And as always, we do our shameless plug. Please subscribe, comment, email us. And also, if you haven't already, we also have 
the other podcast, which is a 30-minute podcast uh, that is dedicated to technology and Cisco technology. So it's called Tech Talks. Uh, if you don't know, get to know. Exactly. And that episode will be coming out shortly after this main episode this month. We're going to be talking about SASE. And I know that's an acronym. I'm going to let the guest explain what SASE is. But yes, email us, UKI podcast at cisco.com. Like and subscribe, like Rosie said. And Rosie, it's it's farewell for now, my friends. I hope you have a great time. And we'll see you when you're back and refreshed and we're ready to record for next month. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.